Welcome, everybody. We're glad to have you here. We're really welcome to have you online. Thank you for being here with us. New Lenox, Homer Glen, Orland Park, glad to have you. Had a great trip to Israel. Just spent, uh, it was about an 11-day trip. We went to Israel and Jordan with some people from the church. Should be on your bucket list. Uh, check my social media if you want to see some of the things that we got to do. But one of the favorite things we got to do was ride camels. And I just thought you'd appreciate um, watching camel riding for a little while because it's fun. Yeah, we put it to music. It's, it's really inspiring. Oh, some of you have seen this already. kneel down. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, that's enough. That wasn't really, uh, uh, that wasn't really our group. It's just funny video on the internet. And I thought you'd like to see it. And whoever did the flute, you know, that was, that was brilliant. Actually, here's a picture of our team. We got to, one of the favorite things was we got to go to Petra, one of the seven wonders of the world o- over in Jordan. Um, really, really, um, and obviously Indiana Jones and all of that stuff. But we had a great time. I'll tell you more about it along the way. Um, obviously, we're coming up for Christmas series. I filmed some stuff over there in, in Bethlehem and Nazareth and some of those places. So you'll hear about it along the way, but it was a blast. We're going to finish up today. Um, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, and, uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me say this again, okay? Your view of your Heavenly Father affects everything in your life. Let me, let me tell you about golf, okay? Since it looks like golf season is over unless you fly somewhere. Um, it, you know, the problem with golf is that there are so many things that you can do wrong. If you, if you don't play, just don't start, okay? It's not worth it, promise me, okay? Uh, the learning curve is very difficult. There's so many variables with your stance and your grip and your takeaway and your swing speed and your swing path. It's a very, very mental game. And, and I've had a couple of rounds where I played really great, like out of my mind great. I had no idea. One of them was about five years into my ministry here, and it wasn't going very well. People were mad at me. The leadership was mad at me. Um, I wasn't sure I wanted to be here anymore. It was Labor Day weekend, which is usually around my birthday. My parents had come into town, and I got to play with my dad and a couple of friends, and I played 10 strokes under my norm, okay? I mean, it was like I couldn't do anything wrong, and I, and I realized later that it was just God's way of making me feel better, okay? And every once in a while, God just does something, and you go, hey, it's okay, buddy, all right? Like, like my hole-in-one, if you don't know, I do have a hole-in-one, one hole-in-one that came during my sabbatical from hell that I call it in 2019, and it was a shot that I hit poorly, and it hit a tree, and nobody saw it, and all of a sudden, we found it in the hole. Like, Literally, I promise you, that's my only hole-in-one. I got, you know, I got, the, I got the, the cup and everything anyway. I got a tag on my bag. No, I'm not going to tell anybody else how I got it. But that was just God saying, hey, it's okay. Every once in a while, he does that. And the problem with, with playing really, really well, if you're a golfer, you understand this, is it's so frustrating because you don't know why you're playing well. Because you're not supposed to play well. And so you start playing well, and you start 
overanalyzing it, what happens? You get one bad shot, and then you start overthinking, right? This is a big problem with the mental game of golf. So for me, and for golfers, this is just a universal thing. It's important as you get up to hit the ball to only have one swing thought, okay? You can't have like, you know, a bunch of different swing thoughts about how things are going to go because then your head's going to get in your way and you're not going to work. You got to have one swing thought. So that's why I wanted to bring this back to you. Your swing thought as a Christian should be dad. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Doesn't matter if it's a bad medical diagnosis. It's, it's dad. The economy's falling apart. It's dad. There's, there's weather, it's dad, it's a pandemic, it's dad. It doesn't matter. Everything's going great, it's dad, okay? One swing thought, you're gonna hit the ball, it's dad. May your name be hallowed, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then there are three things in the prayer that we ask for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread, what we need. It was really cool to be able to go into Jordan uh, into another country, you know, uh, an Arab-controlled country, because uh, that's where Moses was. I've never been there. I got to be on the mountain where Moses looked over the promised land. I got to be in the desert area, which is really a nasty desert area. And that's where Moses and the children of Israel were when they prayed for God to give them daily bread, and he did, called manna. And every day it rained down daily bread, and it didn't last till the next day because they had to depend on God every day. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But we need bread. We need daily forgiveness, okay, as we do it for others. Because we want to live in peace, because you're our dad, and we want to live in peace with the people around us, right? I just wish you guys knew how lucky you are that you have people like Todd and Jody on our team. Am I right? I mean, the last two weeks have been unbelievable sermons from them. I'd rather listen to them preach than me preach, and so would my mom, she told me, okay? So then we get to today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, okay? In other words, that's a bad translation. We don't want to be drawn away from you, Lord, because you're my dad. If we're going to talk about the real world, world there's a grim reality. No prayer that escapes the reality of a world of evil makes any sense at all, okay? Ever since the garden, evil has been in the world, and, and it destroys us. Sin has caused us to live farther from God than we were designed to live. Evil does that. So I want to take this a little, bit of a, a little bit of a different twist and forget about lead us not into temptation. Let's, let's just do it this way. Help us not choose evil and deliver us from the evil we didn't choose. <clears throat> Is that better? Help us not choose evil and deliver us from the evil that we didn't choose. Okay, here's what James says. It's not lead us into temptation. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay? Don't misunderstand this. You know, it's not God's fault that, that you're drinking too much. It's not God's fault that you, you, know, you can't control your impulses. It's not God's fault that you did that thing. Okay, I love the story of the guy who, uh, New Year's resolution, he wanted to lose weight. <clears throat> and, you know, his problem was on the way to work, he drove right by an awesome donut place. And, you know, he got in the habit of just stopping for donuts on the way in. So, so he has a New Year's resolution, and he tells all the people at work, he says, hey, no more donuts for me. Um, um, you know, I'm going to lose some weight. It's my resolution. So, like, January 6th, he comes in. He's got powdered sugar all over his face. He's, you know, obviously been eating donuts, and they're like, what's the deal? He's like, no, no, no. It's not my fault. 
I prayed this morning before I left. I said, God, if you don't want me to get donuts, don't let there be a parking space open in front of the donut store. And he said, sure enough, eighth time around the block, there it was. There was a spot, okay? That's not God's fault, okay? Don't take this the wrong way. It's not, God, please don't mess up and lead us down the wrong way. It's, God, I have so many paths that I can choose. I need you to, I think the better translation is, don't abandon us in temptation, okay? Don't abandon us when we're in temptation. D.A. Carson said it well. It's a petition That's a hefty reminder that just as we ought to consciously depend on God for physical sustenance, we also ought to to have a sense that our dependence of him for moral triumph and spiritual glory. Put the three things together. We need need you to to give us our daily bread. We need you to give us forgiveness. Uh, That would be the spiritual part. And help us when we're in temptation. That would be the moral part. All, All of those are equally important, okay? So when when James says, nobody should say God is tempting you, then he goes on and he says, but each one is tempted when by their own lusts and evil desires, they are dragged away and enticed, okay? They are dragged away and enticed, okay? This is like fishing language, you understand? Each one is tempted when by their own uh, desires, whatever they have, like you're never tempted to do things that that you know aren't really a temptation, are you? You know, I mean, I, I don't have a drinking problem, so I can go into a bar. It's not going to be a real problem for me, okay? I can have a drink, and it's not going to be a problem for me because that's not my deal. But the devil knows my deal. The devil knows whether you're a crappie or a, a, a largemouth bass, okay? And he's going to throw out the right stuff to get you enticed and dragged away, He studies your game film. He knows what's going on. And then he goes on, he says, and after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, as we all know, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. He entices me. He he stirs my affections and I take a step away from intimacy with dad. And that's the trick. Gives birth to death. Help us not choose evil. You just need to know that when you hop in bed with your desire... It's going to have, she's going to have a baby and it's called sin and that sin is going to grow up and have a baby called death. That's the way that it works. Many of you did Rooted and you did the study of strongholds, which I think is one of the most powerful weeks. And you know what, what they are for you. Satan knows how to lure you. But what did we study? The weapons we fight with <clears throat> are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, we have divine power. That's what's in this prayer to demolish the strongholds. We demolish the arguments and the, the, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The Greek word for stronghold is dungeon. That's spiritual warfare. And that, <clears throat> that works with our relationship with God. Why? Because sin moves us farther away from God. Evil moves us farther away from God. So lead us not into temptation. Don't let us get into temptation One swing thought, dad, because giving in to temptation is going to take me farther away from dad and from peace and from the kingdom, okay? I'm pretty sure you get that. Let's talk about the second part of this. But deliver us from the evil that we didn't choose because there's a lot of it out there. And I I need for those of you who are younger to realize that um, 
This probably feels like a really crazy time. Maybe it's a crazier time than you've ever seen. But that's probably just because you haven't lived as long or like me, a lot of times we just forget that there was always evil in our world. Okay, trust me on this. I'm old and I'm a student of history and there's always been evil in our world. Imagine your grandparents or, or, or whoever was alive during World War II. Imagine when the newspapers the next day announced that, and this is coming upon us pretty soon, right? That, that, that they had bombed, that the, the U.S. continent had been bombed, okay? Imagine what you were, your parents or your grandparents or whatever, and, and, and the Bay of Pigs had just happened, and you all realized how close the whole world came to total annihilation. Imagine what it was like to live during the Vietnam time or during the Cold War. I mean, I grew up, like some of you did, being taught to duck and cover. Anybody remember that? Okay, duck and cover, all right, in case the communists dropped nuclear bombs on us, okay? Ah, nuclear holocaust, massive radiation. Everyone get under your little wooden desk. I'm sure it's gonna be fine. What was that all about? But they taught us to do that, right? And there's always been a lot going on, and there always will be a lot going on. My friend Ben found his dad's sermons from the 60s, and he said it was really ironic because the same kind of problems existed in the 60s, right? Racism, oh yeah, it was a big problem. Of course, communism. It wasn't North Korea, it wasn't China, it was the Soviet Union. And guys, if you don't remember, you think Russia's a problem, Soviet Union was way, way different, a lot scarier. And there were natural disasters and fear and economic worries. It's not new. Even the pandemic is new to our generation. And, and maybe our parents and grandparents didn't experience it, but it's gone on before. Because that's the world we live in. Jesus said that the, the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. <laughs> that sounds like a war, doesn't it? That sounds like we're, we've got a problem. In Genesis 3, when, when it's prophesied that Jesus is going to come, it's prophesied that he is going to crush Satan with his heel and that that was going to be an invasion, a rescue operation. I'm going to talk about Christmas on Christmas Eve. I'm going to be preaching the bigger message of Christmas from Revelation. You've got to understand that when Jesus came to this earth, it was an invasion, Okay. The first sermon that he gave in Luke 4 was to proclaim, I come to proclaim release to the captives and freedom. So that's why we pray deliver us from evil. God doesn't send evil. He didn't send hurricanes to Florida. He, he, didn't, he didn't send whatever it is that you've got going on in your life. Why do I know that? Because we just learned a couple of weeks ago that we're supposed to pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Why would we pray that if it was already always happening? I grew up in Oklahoma. We had tornadoes. Every year, I spent a lot of time in the bathtub or the storm cellar or the basement if we were close to one, right? Nobody ever said, well, tornadoes are being sent as judgment to Oklahoma. No, we just knew that we were in a weird weather pattern area where twisters came through. It's Oklahoma where the wind comes sweeping down the plains, right? They wrote a musical about it. Now, people did say, why do you live in Oklahoma? And they had a point, but it wasn't God's judgment. (laughs) Just that I'll never do that 
again, okay? Philip Yancey says this, don't confuse life with God. I love that. I I read this at a lot of funerals. Even if it's an old person that's lived a a long life and, and you know, it's their time. But especially if it's somebody that it doesn't seem like it should have been. Don't confuse life with God. Jesus told us that there would be trouble in this world. And, and I don't talk a lot about my troubles because, um, I, you know, I, I certainly don't have as many as most people. But I'm also afraid sometimes that I might leave you thinking that because I'm a mouthpiece for God that my life always works out. And sometimes, honestly, it's the opposite. I mean, if the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, who do you think's a bigger target, me or you? Plus, I live in a real world with real problems that just happen, okay, just like you do. So the most recent thing was that uh, our daughter, Becca, had a miscarriage a few weeks ago. And I, just, I just mentioned that, and she gave me, they gave me permission. Um, they're processing things, and from what I've read, one in three of you have had the same experience. It's very, very common. It's just that it never happened, right, to us. And I didn't know what it would be like to process as a grandfather. And I now have a grandchild in heaven, actually two of them. Because you can think what you want, but I know they were actually babies, and I'm going to see them again. And we had shared in the joy of the pregnancy, and it had gotten to the point where the ultrasound pics were there, and they'd heard the heartbeat, you know, so that early time of danger was kind of gone. And then my grandchild was gone. And I don't think we talk enough about that pain, especially as common as it is. And it's even harder for those of you who struggle with infertility. And your first response, my first response, our first response is to ask why. And that's okay. But how does deliver us from evil fit in there? Well, Paul said in the book of Romans that all creation anticipates a day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Right now, that's where we live. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Someday, it's all gonna be the way that it's supposed to be. Again, I'll talk about that at Christmas. That's why Jesus came to invade the world. But in the meantime, it's a war. So we pray for deliverance and we fight. Pastor Ben Stewart said it this way. It feels like it's a war because it's a war. It all happens in the context of adversity. It's always been that way since the very beginning of Jesus' arrival. 1 John 3 says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to destroy something. The gospel began in violence. It was an invasion when Jesus arrived and a rescue operation. He saved us and we've switched kingdoms out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. But it's not just an invasion and not just a rescue operation. It's an ongoing mission. God has allowed the enemy to remain for a season and all of us, no matter how spiritual we are, have a little voice in in us that longs for that which the Savior came to destroy because we're in the context of a war. C.S. Lewis called it enemy-occupied territory. Love that. That's where we live, in enemy-occupied territory. Jesus won the decisive victory, and that calls us to fight. So when you come to Christ, we are not liberated from the struggle. We are liberated to 
this struggle. He went on and he said, I got this vision in my mind of Normandy. You know, you picture that scene from Saving Private Ryan or you just imagine what it's like. He said, there are two kinds of soldiers that are lying there on that beach at Normandy. Some look quiet and peaceful and others are agitated and bothered. One soldier is calm and the other is tense. What's the difference? One soldier is dead. Dead people don't flinch when the bombs go off. Dead people don't duck when the bullets are flying over because they're dead. They're not even aware that there's a battle raging. So he said this, and I, I, I really think it's important. If it's not a struggle, you better check your pulse. I know that may not make you feel better, but, but put this in the context of deliver us from evil. That's why we gather together. That's why we have groups of people that surround us and help us and encourage us in the fight. And that is why we pray, deliver us from evil. Because we know we have the ultimate weapon. We know our dad is bigger and stronger and more powerful. So we're praying for this. This is my peace picture I use all the time actually taken by a French photographer. That's a legitimate picture of a guy in a lighthouse with the waves crashing all around him. And that, I'm sad to say, is about all we can hope for, but it's all we need to hope for in this world. Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Paul uses these words, you know, persecution, groaning, hardship, difficulty. He's describing the pain that we go through. He's not suggesting that it doesn't exist. He's saying that in the midst of that hardship and difficulty and pain, we'll have one swing thought. Our Father who art in heaven, that's it. Because nothing can stand against us. Ultimately, we are standing. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. That's where we are. And if he gave his own son for us, how would he not graciously give us everything? And Jesus backed us up. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you might have trouble. I I wish I could say that, but no, you will. Nobody knew better than Jesus, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're doing baptisms this weekend. We've already done dozens. I don't know how many. Um, It's a way of acknowledging that you want to be adopted into the family of God. And and if you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I can have that swing thought. I don't know if dad is the swing thought for me because I'm not, I'm not really sure. It's not about water. It's not about baptism. It's about what happens in your heart. But water baptism is a way of celebrating it, okay? It's a way of having a ceremony for your adoption into the family of God. Jesus sometimes asked people to participate in their healing. One of the, there were several things that we got to do in the Holy Land that we'd never gotten to do before. I don't know why, but we'd never gone to the Pool of Siloam. In John 9, there was a man who was born blind, and Jesus told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. 
It was really cool to be there. It's still there, still operating, uh, right at the beginning of uh, the entrance into Jerusalem and the city of David. Sometimes Jesus asked people to participate in, in their own healing. So he went and washed, and then he was healed. What cleansed him? Was it the water? No, it was Jesus. Was it obedience? No, it was Jesus. But Jesus did put a condition on it, a faith action, that he do something to demonstrate it, to express the action. It was also really cool that we got to be, for the first time, um, it has just opened up. A lot of things, you know, there's a lot of trouble in the Middle East sometimes, and sometimes things open up and sometimes things close. I was on Mount Nebo where Moses looked over the promised land one day and the next day it was close and we would never would have been able to do that. Um, I'd never been to the place where Jesus was actually baptized. Usually you go to a baptism site in, in, uh, in Israel where, you know, it's all, <laughs> they, they rent you a robe and there's showers there and, you know, and it's like Disney World everywhere in Israel, okay? You always go out through the gift shop. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that it's just, you know, that number one industry in Israel is, is tourism. So you're always going through the gift shop. But this time we went to the place where the children of Israel crossed into the promised land with Joshua, right by Jericho. And it's the same exact place where Jesus was baptized. Listen to this. Jesus came from Galilee, and I'll show you some pictures as we do this. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus replied, yes, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John's like, man, I need to be done. Why are you you coming here for me? That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus said, no, even as the perfect son of God, I want to demonstrate my faith in you. And yeah, it was a dirty little Creek is basically what it is. And uh, my brother-in-law back there in the back, he's a pastor also, Jack. Um, he's the one that took the flea pill that I told you about the other day. And, uh, and, and he helped me with the doubles when I did couples going down. And, and it was cold, man. I mean, he was like, if we got any more couples, I want to get the couples done so I can get out of here because he's not a real pastor like me. I stayed in there the whole time, <laughs> okay? I just want to say that. And we did all these, so as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I mean, why in the world would Jesus, the perfect son of God, go through this whole ritual, go through this whole thing to fulfill all righteousness? And when he did it, obviously it was the right thing, because God opened up the heavens and said, way to go. That's my boy. Remember that, and by the way, we have Jordan River water. Like while I was in that nasty place, I filled up my water bottle, I sealed it up, I put it in my checked luggage on the way home, and and every campus has a little bit of Jordan River water in the tub as we speak. So if you never think you're gonna make it to Israel, you can get baptized in the Jordan River today. Lot of Chicago River, little bit of Jordan River, okay? (laughs) But it's in there, I promise you, okay? So remember what we talked about back at the end of summer. The people heard the sermon of Peter and they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off for whom the Lord our God will call. Turn and get baptized. 
And baptism, in case you're wondering, was always by immersion. Here's a picture of me in front of a early Christian baptistry that they have in Beth Shan, a really cool archaeological site. You can see the, the, the cross up on there and see how big it was because they got in, okay? It was immersion. Why? The Apostle Paul said, don't you know that all of us who were immersed, the word literally means to immerse, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's supposed to be a symbol of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Baptism is a, is a tomb. When we die, we're, when we're lowered into the water, we're dying to ourselves. That's always what immersion was. And you're raised up out of the water, you're raised up as a new creation. It's, it's a ceremony. It's not the thing that saves you. It's a ceremony of the adoption into God's family so that you can have one swing thought for the rest of your life. And so that on those days when the evil one tries to tell you that you don't really have a loving, hallowed father in heaven, you can remember the truth. Now here's what people usually say to me. Well, you know... When I get my act together, I'm going to get baptized. How's that working for you? That's always my question. Because baptism was the beginning, not the end. And they say, well, I didn't plan it. Well, nobody in the Bible ever planned it. 3,000 people got baptized the first day. They didn't plan it. Well, I don't have a towel. I got a towel for you, right? Well, I, I, I'm not wearing the right clothes. We've got clothes for you. We'll give you a T-shirt. Well, what about my car seats? Um, you know, we got, a, we got a trash bag. Put over your car seat. We got everything that you could possibly want. What about my junk? We'll give you a Ziploc for your junk. You give it to your friends. It's all, it's all easy, okay? All you need to do is go to the back at your campus and prepare. And registration, there's a registration table there. Go back in there, and then we'll bring you up. And we've got some people that are already ready to go here and at all of our campuses, if you want to go, we're going to stand up in a minute, do the Lord's Prayer. And if, if you want to do it, just go to the back, tell them your name, and come on up. We'll get it done. Jim Gaffigan is a favorite comedian of mine. He's also a great Catholic man, good, good father, good, good dude. But I saw him interviewed one time, and they were talking about church. And the interviewer said, why do you think there's so many old people in heaven? Jim said, well, I think it's, they're cramming for the test. And I thought to myself, I don't think that's it, Jim. I think it's that old people have a better realization of what life is really like. And maybe older people know a little bit more about where to find peace. And maybe the older we get, the more we want to get back to one swing thought and his kingdom. I wish I could tell you that there won't be the valley of the shadow of death. I wish I could tell you that there won't be evil or temptation or struggle. But until our Lord returns and the new kingdom has fully come, we're going to have to keep praying for his kingdom and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we keep praying this prayer, the Psalm of David, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. I want you to have that 
just one swing thought for the rest of your life. When things are going good, it's one swing thought. When things are going hard, it's one swing thought. And depending on your translation, the reason this is important to me is because some translations of the Bible add, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, right? So you're at a funeral, you're at something, and you, I mean, you don't know whether it's debts or trespasses, and you don't know if they're gonna add that thing on, right? I know, it's always very confusing, I get it. Well, the truth is that that, that, that probably wasn't in Jesus' prayer. Scholars would agree that that probably wasn't in the original prayer. But it made so much sense to the people who prayed it in the early times that they wanted to add it because it was the way of, it was a Christian's way of starting and ending the prayer with the one swing thought. You see that? Our Father who art in heaven, here's what we need. And yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Pretty easy analogy between us and our dad. When my kids were little, they would run to me. And sometimes, if they hadn't seen me for a while, they would run. Sometimes they just wanted to show me something, they would run. But they never ran faster. My grandkids will never run to me faster than when they're scared, right? Let a big dog come running out without a leash on. And they're in my arms in a heartbeat. That's why I love to show this picture to my grandkids, because this is a picture of me and my grandpa. And that's old and grainy, but that's Tim. Too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. And my grandpa, Daisy. Born in 1899, been gone a long time. He was a farmer down in Arkansas, and I love going to the farm and hanging out with Grandpa. He was a man of few words. You can kind of look at him and just tell who he was, right? But you know what? I love that picture because that's God in us. He's not going to let us crash. He's not going to let us fall. He won't go too fast with us on there. And you may think you're driving like I did, but you're really not. And his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You see, it all starts and ends with the first two words. So let's stand together and we're gonna say the Lord's Prayer together. And then I'm gonna ask you to repeat the good confession with me. And if you want to get baptized, go to the back, whatever campus you're at, and we'll get you in the queue, and we will do this. We've already done a bunch of them. And, and I'm going to put the Lord's Prayer on there the way Jesus taught us, and then I want you to add that, that amen at the end, okay? The, thine is the kingdom. We'll add that at the end. So just say this with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
And we just have you repeat this after me, if you feel like it, just confessing that Jesus is Lord and he is your Lord. This is what Peter said when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he is my Lord and Savior. As we get ready to sing, if you want to do it, just slip out. We're going to stay standing for some worship. We'll do communion standing up, slip out and head to the back, and we're ready to go.